Isaiah 2, 2 through 5. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And now from Isaiah 9, verse 2 and 5 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Candace. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome uh, to Park Hill. If you're new to Park Hill Church, it's so good that you're with us. So thankful you're here. My name's Evan, and my wife Sandy and I have, a, it's the true joy of, uh, of this season of our lives to lead this church and to be with you. Um, yeah, I, I just want to give a shout out. Jason and Tanika leading worship. There's nothing like it. So, well, well done, you guys. There. They're also our marriage and family pastors here, and they do such a great job just shepherding couples through the premarital situation and meeting with families that are married or all of that. They just do such a great job. Um, and I want to say, uh, Jake, you did a great job with announcements as well. Uh, I want to add one thing. Christmas Eve and Christmas, the Sunday after Christmas, the 26th, they're both family services. So all ages in this same room, uh, they'll be short to the point, beautiful, family-friendly, like kids, babies, everything, all in. So just want to make that clear, family services, Christmas weekend. Um, today is the third Sunday of Advent, so we're halfway through Advent. It's the four weeks leading up to Christmas. Advent is a time of both celebrating and longing. We celebrate God came in Jesus to bring forgiveness and healing to us. And at the same time, we long for Jesus to come again, right? We, we, we want Jesus to come and bring the kingdom in full and to bring full healing to the world. And so these first two Sundays, what was the first Sunday of Advent about? We talked about what, what aspect of the Christian life? Hope, absolutely. Remember the hope, the hope rope or whatever we called it. We had that cord. And then, and then what did Dr. Bashir's talk about last week? joy, and he's a living signpost of joy in a tough circumstance, battling cancer as he is. And now this, this third Sunday of Advent, it's all about peace. 
Advent peace. And so to set the table, uh, and uh, we're going to get into the text that Candace just read, but to set the table, an interesting story uh, from this week. Last Thursday, okay, I'm picking up my kids from school. Uh, I'm in the pickup line, pick line, and I'm, I'm thinking about this sermon. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a regular preaching job, but it's, it's all-consuming at times. You just, oh, next week, I'm thinking of something to say again. I'm thinking of something to say again. It's a grind. So I'm thinking about it in the pickup lane and uh, how to structure a sermon on peace. Such a massive, massive idea, right? Like, we're all longing for fulfillment in all the little disparate areas of our lives. And, and the peace and wholeness that Jesus brings is what the, everybody wants it. Like, no one's going to say, I don't want peace. Uh, we all long for it. We're all so anxious. And we're dissatisfied with life so often. Are you completely satisfied with your life? We're also dissatisfied. And Jesus' peace is all about deep satisfaction in all of our relationships. That's what it's about. So I'm thinking about all this, and my 13-year-old, Hendrik, right there, sitting by Sandy in the front. So he, he gets in the car, and the first thing he says, I'm like thinking about dissatisfaction with life and anxiety and all that, and what's peace? And he's like, hey, Dad. And I'm like, yeah, he like breaks my thought. He's like, today my homework is to watch this 10-minute YouTube video about dissatisfaction with life and, and, what to do, and what to do about it. I'm like, oh, really? And so I kind of follow the breadcrumbs, right, <laughs> to, to the YouTube with him afterwards, and it's this Kyrgyzstak video, you know, Kyrgyzat, rather, Kyrgyzat. It's this secular humanist, scientific, full video with tons of, millions of subscribers. It's pretty interesting. I, I actually love the channel. Um, and so we get home and watch this video about dissatisfaction. Um, and Kyrgyzat, or however you say it in German, it means in a nutshell, 10-minute videos, they nailed peacelessness. The biblical definition of peacelessness, this video nails it. And the first line of the video, the first line, the guy says, everybody's familiar with the feeling that things are not as they should be. It's the first line. The little cartoon girl is just like very sad. Um, And that sums up peacelessness in the Bible. And the video goes on to connect your peacelessness to all of your relationships your relationships with other people, within yourself and with the world around you, society and creation, your, your peace is connected to those relationships. And, and in the video, just like in Christianity, um, the video talks about how practicing gratitude, like being still and saying thank you, is the scientific antidote to peacelessness and can actually bring healing externally in your life, in relationships. And I'm watching this secular humanist video about dealing with dissatisfaction, and I'm thinking, man, our faith is amazing. Like, we're, we were doing the mindful gratitude, mindfulness thing like 3,500 years before it was cool. Um, like, Jesus was onto something, and the Jews before Jesus were onto something. In the Bible, the ancient Hebrew word for, for peace is probably the one Hebrew word most of you already know. Do you know what it is? Shalom. Yeah, I've been to Israel. If you've been to Israel, they still say that. Uh, as a hello and a goodbye. It's kind of like the Hawaiian aloha, right? And just like how many of you have Hawaiian roots, uh, uh, aloha, it means way more than just hi. It has like this deep cultural 
well of meaning um, for like completeness and compassion and love and all of these things. So um, shalom is just like that. Shalom is the same. So when, when we modern Americans think of peace, we think of no fighting, right? Just peace. Let's make a truce. No more conflict. But when the scriptures talk about shalom, it's not just about no conflict. It's about thick completeness, wholeness, everything as it should be, to quote Kirschgesat, everything the way it should be. That's peace for Jesus. That's what the Bible means by peace. A couple of examples, just to show you from the scriptures, Joshua 8, uh, 31 says this, then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses. Watch this. See the bold? An altar of uncut stones. So that phrase, uncut stones, is the Hebrew word there is shalom stones. It's a whole stone. It's, it's not reduced. It's, it has no cracks. That's an idea of shalom. Um, so think of that when you think of peace. Also think of this, Deuteronomy 25. It's, it says, you must have accurate and honest weights and measures, speaking of fair business practices. And, and that's literally, honest weights is shalom weights, shalom stones. They would put these rocks in scales to measure how much your product is worth. And shalom stones means I'm not going to cheat you. I'm going to do fair trade. So that's commanded in Scripture. It's shalom stones. And, and another one here, Job 5. Job, one of the oldest books in the Scriptures, uh, it says, you will know that your tent is shalom. You, how will you know your tent is shalom? Because you're going to count your animals and none of them are missing. Everything is as it should be. This is the biblical picture of shalom. Are you seeing the picture? Are you feeling it? And then when the Bible talks about a person that's shalom, it means they're healthy. Their well-being is intact. This is why David, you know the story of David and Goliath. What did David go to do when he visited his brothers on the battlefield? He went to ask, how are you? How's your welfare? But the word there is, how is your shalom? That's literally there. Ha shalom. How is your shalom faring? Um, and so that's way different than our American, how are you? And at church, you walk by for five seconds and say, what do you say? Fine, good, yeah. Super shallow, <laughs> you know? That would never, you'd never get away with that in the world of the Bible. They're like, how is your shalom? And you have to actually give a specific answer about your well-being. Um, but we answer Fine. So the core idea of shalom is life is this complex puzzle with moving parts. It's like a moving puzzle all the time, all your relationships and all your situations. And when any of these things get out of whack, your shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole and it needs to be restored. In fact, that's what shalom means when it's a verb in the Bible. It means I'm going to put the puzzle together. And I'm going to make reparations when something good is taken away from another group or another person. I'm going to make shalom. I'm going to make peace. I'm going to be a peacemaker. It's not just stopping fighting. It's adding to the welfare of the person. When warring kingdoms would make shalom, they would actually not just shake hands, raise a white flag, 
Surrender truce. No, it wasn't just a truce. It was now how can we employ our economy to boost yours? That's making shalom. And so in this world, in the Bible, Isaiah the prophet rises up in a time of great peacelessness. In a time when Israel was embattled within itself with outside enemies and they were about to be dragged off into exile, lose their home and lose any sign of shalom in their lives. And Isaiah looks forward to a future king who he called a prince of peace. Prince and the word is prince of shalom. Isaiah looked forward to the birth of this prince of shalom who would come and end violence and bring healing and make reparations and, and make shalom that doesn't end. So, so this is what's happening. And there's, you know, again, tons of fighting. And Isaiah comes along, and, and so many of his prophecies are about this new way to live, this shalom way of living. It's radical. And in light of the rest of the world and how the rest of the world works, it's this nonsensical peace way of living. And it's the way of Messiah and his future people. And Isaiah sees it coming and he's like, it's not too good to be true. It's reality. So here's Isaiah's prophecy. Candace read it. We're going to walk through it. Starting in Isaiah 2, he says this. In the last days. What are those days? Anybody know what the last days are? Now, there's one answer. Do you agree, disagree? This has everything to do with Advent, you guys. The last days, in, in, the, in the Old Testament, the last days begin at Jesus' first Advent. Jesus comes, the Holy Spirit is poured out, boom, you're in the last days. So question, did that happen? Yes. So follow-up question, are we in the last days now? Yes. Yes, the kingdom is here. Jesus said so, very simply. The Holy Spirit is still being poured out. These are the last days. No matter what your ethnicity or gender, the Holy Spirit is poured out on you. No matter your age, old men, old women, young men, young women, the prophet said, you can receive the Holy Spirit and live in God's shalom. Now, it's important to say we're still waiting for the last day, right? We're still waiting for the second advent, the second coming of Christ when he fully brings peace and there's no trace of violence left in the world when Jesus physically comes. But the point is, the last days have started. We're in the last days. How do I know this? Hebrews 1. You know what Hebrews, how does the book of Hebrews start? In these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. We are in the last days, and we still are. So when you hear last days, don't think end times, okay? Those are different conversations. When you hear last days, think the kingdom of God is breaking into our darkness through Jesus and through his church. We are in this time. His peace is available and hope is now. So what does this mean? Continue in Isaiah. He says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream into the mountain, into the temple. And you guys, this happened. This was fulfilled in Acts 2. 
If you know the story, all nations, multiple ethnicities and languages were flooding into Jerusalem for Pentecost to celebrate that feast. And that's the mountain of the temple. It's Jerusalem. They came for Passover, but what did they get? All the nations came for Passover, but they got the gospel of Jesus through the gift of tongues through multiple Jews in all of their different ethnic languages. So they came for Passover, they got the gospel. This this happened, okay? And so Isaiah continues, in these last days, right here, verse 4, he, Jesus, will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples, and they... Jesus' people will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And then as if we're not, as if we, as if we're having trouble with this, he says, come on, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is fascinating, you guys. So refresher, when did the last day start? Jesus' first advent, Jesus came, died, rose, went to the Father, Holy Spirit comes. And Holy Spirit comes, boom, last days begin. So we're still in those days. And so let me ask you, follow-up question. According to the prophet Isaiah, should we, the people of God, beat our swords into plowshares? Yes, absolutely. Should we trade our weapons of physical harm into tools of physical, spiritual, emotional, whole person shalom and healing? Yes. Paul makes this explicit in 2 Corinthians 10 and Ephesians 6. You guys know 2 Corinthians 10, he says, for though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. He says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. In Ephesians 6, he says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities and spiritual powers, the dark world, right? In the heavenly realms, all the live no lies stuff. If you've read the John Mark Comer book on the back of our table, that is our fight. This is the reality of shalom that Jesus has brought into the world. It's not just wishful thinking that I wish the world would just stop fighting, It's not just, you know, Miss America, I wish for world peace, right? No, Jesus came to establish shalom. That's wholeness, completeness on this earth. And the spiritual forces of evil are fighting against it. That fight's not over, which is why it's tense. This is the world we live in. Our true fight is against those evil forces. And we followers of Jesus are called to be his spirit-empowered fighters, who fight by loving our physical enemies while also fighting evil with good as opposed to violence. This doesn't mean we don't fight. We absolutely fight, but we don't fight the way the world does. This is the way of shalom. For followers of Jesus, his way of nonviolent, peacemaking, self-giving love is the only way we fight. This is the reality Isaiah invites us to see. He's like, come on, get in the water, it's fine. Step into the light. I know you're blinking in the dark. What happens? Again, look, come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. It's like we've been in a dark room, (laughs) and then suddenly, boom, the lights go on. What happens? You've been in the dark for like all night, and then someone just 
flicks on the light, what happens to your eyes and your experience? Yeah, it's uncomfortable. No one likes that feeling. It hurt. Actually, there's a weird form of pain behind your eyes. And you like blink and you might even shed a tear. It takes a while to, I cry when it happens. Uh, it takes a while to adjust. What are you adjusting to? Reality. You're adjusting to reality as it's illuminated. And for Isaiah, when Messiah comes, his shalom comes. It's not a pipe dream. It's, as real, it's more real than the violence before it. But as human beings, we've become so adjusted to the dark world of violence and defensiveness and tit-for-tat retaliation. We're so used to that way of thinking that Isaiah knows we, we need some adjustment time. It takes a while to blink, rub our eyes, and see the reality of shalom and non-retaliation and the way of self-giving love. And Isaiah's like, come on, children of the promise. That's what descendants of Jacob are. That's you. Children of the promise, children of peace. Come on, you can walk in the light. The Messiah's shalom life, his self-giving, enemy-forgiving way of living, where physical weapons and defensiveness are rendered pointless. I know it can feel idealistic. Isaiah's like, I know this, I know you blink, rub your eyes. Just like stepping into the light, it takes a moment to adjust, but welcome to reality in the light. The light of the Prince of Shalom. And you can walk here, he says. You can walk here. And then when we get to Isaiah's famous text about the birth of the prince, the message about peace couldn't be more clear. Verse, uh, chapter 9, look up on the screen. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. They're blinking. They're blinking. The light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Okay, what's happening? What's happening in the room? Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood is now appointed, destined, repurposed for a bonfire. There'll be fuel for the fire. According to Isaiah, this light that's coming, it, it will show us very clearly that our need both for weapons to harm and defensive armor, the need for those things. When the great light comes, all that violent gear gets repurposed as butane for the bonfire night of worship for the Prince of Peace. And you can still hear Isaiah's invitation echoing, come on, descendants of the promise, come on, that's us, walk. You can walk here. That reality of Jesus' peace. And then he says this, same, he says this, why? Why can we walk here? For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal, the passion of our God Almighty will accomplish this. Isaiah is saying, when the Prince of Peace is finally born, his reign brings endless wholeness. A time when God would come and make a promise of shalom to you, to anyone who receives, anyone who realizes they need it and, and goes to the right source for it, Jesus. Shalom. 
This is why Jesus' birth in the New Testament was announced as the arrival of peace. Remember the angels from last week? Dr. Bashir's read Charlie Brown, Linus, you know, the shepherds, the angels. What did they announce? It was the arrival of peace. Luke 2.13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. What that means is Jesus offers peace, wholeness, not just absence of conflict, but the presence of integrated relationships, all as they should be. And, and it's not instant, it's over time, but it is the work of heaven on earth. Your relationship with God, others, self, and rest of creation. He offers healing there. And then he invites and empowers you to follow him in bringing that healing around you. This is Advent. He said this way to his first disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. There's a different peace out there. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. What's the different peace? What's the peace the world gives? The world's peace, when John uses the word world, he's talking about systems opposed to the kingdom. What's the peace of that system? Uh, it's peace that comes through violence. In Jesus' day, the world's peace was Pax Romana, Rome's peace. That was the peace du jour, the peace of the day, and it was won and maintained by the brutal sword of Caesar. That was the peace the world gives. Everybody knew this. Every commentator I read on this verse agrees with this. The peace the world gives is the peace of Rome that kept the peace through violence. And Jesus is saying, I'm not giving you that kind. I'm not giving you that kind. You'll be an entirely different system on earth, empowered by my spirit. There were plenty of Jews who thought that their Messiah was coming to bring that kind of peace by the sword. Uh, but let's give the Jews some credit, right? They, why did the Jews think the Messiah would come to kill? Because they were reading their Bibles, right? How many of you have read Psalm 110, which we studied last summer, all about how the Messiah is going to come and crush kings and heap up corpses? That's what the psalm says. But that psalm was not teaching that Jesus would win through some kind of military crusade. If you want to look into it, we actually taught through that chapter last June. Just look up on our podcast um, a sermon called Praying in Christ's Victory, if you want to look into that. The point is, peace through violence is the world's peace, not the peace of Jesus or Jesus' people. How do we know this? Look no further than the cross. The cross. Instead of peace through violence, did you know your peace was secured, your peace was achieved by an innocent man who suffered and died at the Romans' hands, and at the Jews' hands, and at your hands, and at my hands? We killed Jesus. We murdered the Prince of Peace. But here's the beautiful paradox of the cross. During the moment of his murder, Jesus was forgiving his murderers. With that offer of forgiveness, Jesus made peace with God possible for anyone who admits that we are complicit in his murder. 
And then we lay down our weapons of harm and defensiveness, and we follow the Prince of Peace by forgiving our enemies just like he did, by the same Spirit. That is, the, that is a central claim of the New Testament authors. The apostles, Peter, Paul, and others, they make this claim that Jesus actually created peace between screwed up humans and this perfect God. Jesus bridged that gap when he died and rose from the dead. And Jesus restored to wholeness that broken relationship between humans and the maker of humans. This is why the apostle Paul says, Jesus himself is our peace, Ephesians 2. He himself is our peace. In other words, Jesus is shalom. He's the whole, complete shalom human that I was supposed to be, but failed to be. You were supposed to be shalom, but you failed to be. And now he gives you his shalom as a gift. And that means that we Jesus followers are not only made at peace with God, but we're called to make peace with others the same way Jesus did. Having peace with God, we now reconcile with humans. This is the way of Jesus. This is what Isaiah saw. This is the light. You can walk in it. We can do this. Most of Paul's letters were written to combat division, right? We, we've been through 1 Corinthians as a church. Uh, most of Paul's letters have that same tone. Like, please, by all means, be the family that is united in Christ. Do not let yourself be divided by non-essentials. That's a huge, whether it's politics or gender or ethnicity, or if it's not a gospel thing, Paul's like, don't let it break up this fam. That's Paul's whole, he writes so many letters about this. And he says it this way to the Ephesians. He says, since Jesus himself has become your peace, please keep together. Keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace with each other. What does that mean, church? Very practically, just pastorally, it means we should be doing everything in our power not to break up as a church over anything other than gospel issues. Gospel beliefs and clear practices that flow out of gospel, such as remembering the poor and vulnerable. We disagree on policy often. That's why we get in political fights on how to take care of the poor best. But that's when it becomes secondary. We die together in unity over gospel issues, like the authority of Scripture, the Trinity, the fact that God came as the God-man Jesus, born of a virgin, suffered and died under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, buried, and dead, and we believe he's coming again to judge the living and the dead in perfect righteousness. We die for this. There's not much to divide for after that, you guys. There's not much to divide for after that. But in the sad case when it is time to divide, um, it should be viewed as a tragic last resort. We should weep together over that kind of division and then speak well of each other when we part. But unfortunately, unfortunately, these days, I don't know if you notice, but division is often a first reaction. 2020 was the year, <laughs> 2020, people just silently, silently left their churches all over the place, you know. I call it church ghosting, <laughs> you, know? you know, just peace out, gone, ghosted. Uh, don't get me wrong, listen, don't hear me wrong, there's nothing wrong with following Jesus to a new assignment, 
that leads you into a new community, that is beautiful. I would call that church sending. It's beautiful. It's all over the scriptures. You pray and you discern together and then you go. That's church sending. And that is awesome. That keeps the church healthy and vibrant and fresh with new life. I'm not talking about that. That's great. I'm talking about church ghosting, right? It's when people quietly bail over non-gospel issues, but more like personal opinions and preferences. And whether it's mask wearing or not wanting to worship with people who voted different or maybe just wanting to, quote, try something new, unquote. Whatever the reason, whenever we're talking about leaving our spiritual community, whether you left one to come here, very serious. Whenever we're talking about leaving a spiritual community, we have to be very careful that we are not unnecessarily breaking up the shalom of God's family. In the American church, we're so used to breaking up that we don't even realize we're doing it, hence the ghosting. But we have to realize division or breaking relationship with spiritual family is the opposite of reconciliation. So, I know the heavy words, hopefully you hear them with, with a heart of love and desiring to see Jesus glorified or whatever. I, I don't want anything but Jesus to be seen in these words. But as the Prince of Peace, Jesus, he reconciled all things. He was a reconciler, a bringer together of all the things. So too, as followers of Jesus, this Advent, we are called to participate in that work of reconciliation until he comes back. And we work to create shalom. Not just not fight silently, but actively disturb that which breaks shalom by the power of the Spirit. And it takes a lot of work, you guys. Peacemaking is hard. (laughs) Uh, Because again, it's not just not fighting. Peacemaking is naming, naming what's broken, which calls out the breakers. Um, But we do it in love, and then we name what's broken, uh, which means honesty, and then we restore it. We actually put the puzzle together for society and for our church and for our own souls. Whether it's in our personal lives or outside of us, that's peacemaking. That's peace according to Jesus. This is the family of peace we're called to be in the world, you guys. Which leads me um, to three really exciting announcements for our church in 2022, okay? Jesus wants us to be the peacemaking family that reflects his heart in the world. So all of this, this is why, number one, um, our word for 2022 is very simple. It's family. And, and this is not, don't hear family, and it, this is not family in the just American married with 2.3 kids, white fence, and a dog sense, okay? This is family in the, in the New Testament sense. It's, it's much deeper. Paul's Main language for describing the church. Do you know what it was? The main word he used to speak to the church. He said, hey, you blank. You know what he said? Siblings. It's always siblings. Adelphoi, plural for brethren. Uh, And uh, the old King James translates it brethren. Uh, But I love 2011 NIV. It gets the sense. It's all of the siblings. Brothers and sisters. Um. And, and listen, he says that too often to just be a metaphor. It is a metaphor, but it's more than a metaphor, if you know what I mean. 
Here's the backstory behind this word of families. Last summer, the Park Hill elders, Matt and Aaliyah Persley, Matthew and Elodie Ruffet, myself and Sandy, the six of us, we got away to Tahoe for this leadership retreat we try to go to every year. And we do this to pray and to seek Jesus for vision. What do you want for the next year? Uh, every summer. And last summer, Sandy got that word family, and she was hesitant to bring it to the rest of us because it's such a common word, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, family. Every church has the word family on their website or in their vision statement or whatever. Um, but she didn't mean it just in the typical thin, churchy, attraction word sense. Um, but, but, uh, but family, what Sandy means uh, is clearly what Paul means after she shared her heart underneath it. It's a, it's a family that goes and does shalom making as brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers, regardless, regardless of married or single status, who want to lead one another's kids in the way of Jesus and Sabbath together and vacation together during July and get creative together in San Diego doing projects, uh, spirit-led kingdom stuff, and filling our space with this wholeness, this shalom. I love, uh, I don't know if you know the Wren Collective. Uh, uh, there's some friends of mine over in Ireland. They're a band, a worship band. And they had this great album title called As Family We Go. That is the spirit of this. As family we go into whatever it is. Like we don't just call ourselves family, but we, we do it. As evidenced by um, gathering and scattering community. And being, and being on each other's uh, text threads and on each other's phones, each other's Sabbath meal tables. Um, this is the kind of family Paul saw the church becoming in the New Testament. Which brings, which brings me to uh, number two. This is also, so the first one, the word is family. Number two, uh, this is why on January 9th, 2022, we are starting a series in the book of Galatians. Galatians is, is driving us into 2022. We're going to go deep into Paul's letter. Some call it the letter that saved the church. <laughs> and I like that, even if it's a little melodramatic, because, because it was Jews and Gentiles. It was ideological diversity. It was ethnic diversity. And Paul's main concern was table fellowship. Don't break up. And here is why. And if you advocate breaking up, it's a different gospel. That's what Paul says. Um. And so fight for unity. Um, and within, within that series, along this line, we're, we're hosting J.T. Thomas in February. Uh, J.T. is the president and founder of Civil Righteousness, which is this amazing organization based in Ferguson. And he has just made an incredible ministry out of encouraging conversation that leads to solutions. Uh, around the area of restorative justice around race. And he's coming, he's going to preach in our series one Sunday in Galatians and then stay over Sunday night and do a, a civil righteousness conversation forum, kind of like a town hall thing for us. And that's in February. And which leads to the third thing, the third thing we're stoked about, finally. Um, starting Sunday, January 2nd, Park Hill Church will have this building all day instead of just the morning. Yeah, and I could, hear, I could hear you immediately see the opportunity um, for discipleship, for trainings, and different events. And, and so right away, you guys, we're beginning a new rhythm 
in 2022. Here's, here's the first thing. This is the main thing we have planned right now, and it's, and it's uh, the next slide. The first Sunday of every month will be a night of worship and seeking God together as a family, 7 p.m., every first Sunday of the month. <clears throat> We've always prioritized prayer. Um, We've done everything we can to try to make it the first thing we do whenever we start something. And, and this is the first thing we're going to do. Uh, January 2nd is the first Sunday of the year, so we're going to do it. Uh, first Sunday is at 7 p.m. Invite everybody you can. <laughs> and just come and seek God together as his, as his people, as his siblings, as Jesus' siblings in this city. Every move of God in history came alongside a committed core, a hot white core of praying people. Every move of God. And let me speak personally. Let's, let's, go, let's dig into that core. Let's talk about you, right, and me. You cannot experience the shalom of God, the wholeness. You can't experience it practically, working in your life, apart from a genuine rhythm of prayer. It's a bold statement, but I think the scriptures are fully backing up that statement. Paul says it this way, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That's, that was last week with Dr. Bashir's. He's like, choose joy, right? So, okay, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The light has come. Verse 6, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts. Is that a command, a fact, or a promise? There's definitely command there, and there's facts there, and there's promises there. What is verse the peace of God? You 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 pray, you petition, which means asking, bring your emotions to God, and you Give thanks. You pray gratitude, and the peace of God will guard your heart. Is that a command, fact, or promise? It's a promise. God can't lie. You pray. You commit to a rhythm of prayer. You choose gratitude in prayer. The promise is you'll have his peace. And it's not as the world gives, Right? Paul draws a direct line from prayer to peace. He just, straight through the Bible text, he takes a red pencil and draws a direct line from prayer to peace. Um, so so you, you pray, there's shalom. It's, it's kind of that simple, but as we know, it doesn't make it easy. Because prayer is the real work. Prayer is the real work. Paul says it like this. Here's the rest of that verse. Finally, brothers and sisters, there it is, brothers and sisters, Adelphoi siblings, that's that word again, it's everywhere. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on them, meditate on them, and then whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So, so what does he connect to prayer now? Oh, what does it connect to peace now? There's another P word there. Practice. Right. Every, the whole way of Jesus. The rule of life that we talk about. 
Scripture, prayer, community, bread, cup, baptism, celebration, worship, all of these things, fasting and justice and righteousness, generosity. Everything you've heard and seen, put it into practice, and what? Is that a command factor promise? He's making a promise. Practice the way of Jesus, and the God of peace will be with you. Promise. So, uh, are you overwhelmed with anxiety today? Practice the way of Jesus, emphasize prayer, you'll experience peace. Again, it won't be easy, it's not a magic fix, but it is the way of shalom that Jesus gives. So, do you just have this nagging feeling, like to quote Kirschgesat, the video, <laughs> that everything's not as it should be? Do you just like, oh, I'm just dissatisfied. I go to a social gathering and I'm just, no one wants me there, I feel, or whatever, like all oh, just these feelings. Practice the way of Jesus in community, in transparent, authentic, covenant, confessional community. Practice the way of Jesus, emphasize prayer, you'll experience peace. Are you experiencing pain in relationships? That's a big category, obviously. Maybe there's a specific relationship now that's just full of selfishness and you can't tell your selfishness from theirs right now. And no one agrees about who's right or wrong, it's just a mess and you, listen, practice the way of Jesus, emphasize prayer, Experience peace. Again, don't get me wrong. There's no magic pill, peace pill. Like pray and you'll automatically feel fine about everything. That is not the peace of Jesus. The peace of Jesus comes when the Spirit empowers you to be like Jesus in that difficult circumstance and create the peace you long for. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Galatians 5. Peace is something that is made peace maker. That's why Jesus blesses the peacemaker, because they are the children of God. They look like God. That's what children of God means. They look like God. The peacemakers are the ones in the room who are acting most like the Heavenly Father, when other people are acting for their self-interests. So we're going to open the room for prayer. Jason and Sneak are going to come up. We're going we're to start singing and and. And I want to invite you to take the promise to the bank, so to speak, and receive prayer for peace. Maybe it's personal, emotional, mental anxiety. Maybe it's relationships, and God wants you to make peace, and you have that person in your mind. And there's one step, and you need creativity, and you need compassion to take that step. Maybe it's social. Maybe you're looking out at like, man, 2020 was a beast, and I want to make a difference, and I just want to, I want to help change the world, and you're longing for that healing, and you want to know what to do, and, and receive prayer for creativity for that one next step, so personal, relational, or social, like we're opening up the room for this, believe God has peace for you, a way for you to bring wholeness in those things, so let's close our eyes and just breathe deep. And just recognize the God of peace is here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're, you are the comforter. You are the comforter.